From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. What a government shutdown would mean for Colorado, where the only thing more vast than the federal workforce are federal lands. Then, a movement. That's how our guest, a leading scholar on race and communication, sees the energy that Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, brings to Folsom Field and beyond. My son looks at Deion as a role model who gives him the courage to walk around with twists in his hair, to walk around as a dark-skinned Black man and feel a sense of pride and to believe Black is beautiful. And he wants to be part of this movement. Meanwhile, CU Boulder continues to struggle with diversity in its student population and its faculty. Every member has that moment when they decide it's time to start supporting Colorado Public Radio. Make this your moment. Call or text GIVE to 800-496-1530 and make your gift today. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Ryan Warner. Looks like we are careening toward a federal shutdown. If Congress doesn't compromise, it'll start Sunday. This would be the fourth government shutdown in a decade. With what that would mean in Colorado, CPR's D.C. reporter Caitlin Kim is on the line. Hi, Lynn. Hi, Ryan. I'm thinking foremost of the many federal workers here. What's the size of that workforce and how will this affect them? Well, the total federal workforce is about 2.1 million, and that includes civilian and military. In Colorado, there are about 38,000 civilian employees and about 12,000 active duty military. I'm going to caveat that military number by saying that's what's publicly available. I don't think you'll be surprised to hear, Ryan, that the military doesn't like people knowing exactly how many people they have at different locations. Mm. Um, But uh, as to when they'll feel that impact, for some, especially on the civilian side, They'll feel the effects right away because they'll be furloughed, or at least some of them, not able to work until the shutdown is over. Others deemed exempted or essential, they'll continue to work. But when they'll all feel it is if this shutdown lasts long, when they miss their first paycheck, which is expected on October 13th. And, you know, let's be blunt about this. It's going to hurt. You know, these people have bills to pay and need to buy food or gas. And going without a paycheck or two is not something many people can do. Hmm. My mother is about to hit the road with her best friend to visit me, and they had planned to stop at national parks. I imagine a lot of people are wondering what happens to, say, Rocky or Black Canyon or the sand dunes. You know, Ryan, that's a very timely question, and I'm sorry that you have to tell this to your mother, but this morning the Interior Department said National Park Service's National Park Service sites will be closed to the public, and that includes most national parks. You know, gates will be locked, visitor centers and bathrooms closed, and park rangers are going to be furloughed. Now, some national parks, some, could remain open if states, local governments, and tribes want them to, but it would mean paying a non-reimbursable fee that could run, you know, tens of thousands of dollars a day to keep the park open. It would be subject to approval of the National Park Service director. And I spoke with Democratic Representative Dona Goose this morning about this. You know, Rocky Mountain National Park is in his district. And he says he's talking with stakeholders about that route. If we can find a way uh, to continue having the park in some type of operational status, then I think we'd like to to pursue that. Uh, This is something that we've 
unfortunately had some experience with. You know, he's talking about in 2013, Colorado paid more than $36,000 to keep just Rocky Mountain National Park open. And on Thursday, Governor Jared Polis signed an executive order telling the Colorado Department of Natural Resources to come up with a plan to operate Colorado's national parks and other federal lands in the event of a shutdown. Um, Now, how quickly that could be done and how quickly an agreement could be reached is still up in the air. So national parks may be closed in Colorado at least for a little while at the start. I think that figure $360,000 to keep Rocky open. So we've talked about employment. We've talked about the parks. What about DIA? I mean, airports depend depend on federal employees from TSA officers to air traffic controllers. Will they be on the job? Yes, they're considered exempted employees. They'll be working, just not getting paid. But you could see, you know, even longer lines at like DIA, for example, at airport security. And again, if a shutdown lasts a long time, we might see some sick outs. That's what happened with TSA agents during the most recent shutdown that lasted 35 days in 2018-2019. It's so interesting because a federal shutdown is clearly a big deal. But from what you're saying, it also sounds like any number of functions of government uh benefits mail delivery essential services continue to some extent so square that for us is this really bad well you know let's go back to the topic of national parks and national forests they're a big driver of tourism in colorado governor polis mentioned that last year more than five million visitors came to colorado for the parks and spent close to 700 million dollars that's a lot of money that might not be going into local communities near these sites if the state can't keep them open And that speaks to the larger point, you know, shutdown, essentially one that lasts more than a few days is going to be a hit on the U.S. economy. Mm. The U.S. government is the country's largest employer. And when they're not sending out paychecks, it's going to have a ripple effect. According to the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office, the 2018 shutdown, which was considered a partial government shutdown, cost the economy $11 billion. And Moody's estimated that the 2013 shutdown, which also happened at the start of the governmental fiscal year, reduced gross domestic product by $20 billion. And the credit agencies are sounding alarms now. Right. Um, The most recent was from Moody's, which said a government shutdown could have a negative impact on the country's rating. And look, you know, the the government can't just stop on a dime. It's going to cost money to execute a shutdown and then to then restart the government. Hmm. So for all the lawmakers that are screaming about getting government spending under control, a shutdown does not do that. It tends to cost the government more. You've been tracking Colorado's congressional delegation through all of this. Uh, Any members playing significant roles in brokering a deal or standing in the way of one? You know, I wouldn't say any number, any of our members have a significant role in the deal making because one of the reasons that's one of the reasons that uh, a shutdown is eminent. There are no bipartisan negotiations taking place, and this is going to take a bipartisan solution. But I am tracking a couple that are in key factions. You know, Republican representatives Lauren Boebert and Ken Buck are both members of the House Freedom Caucus. You know, that's that far right faction that has been the most vocal about cutting spending forcing House Speaker Kevin McCarthy to go lower than a a budget deal he worked out with the White House and the Senate a few months ago, Hmm. and as well as adding sort of controversial culture war amendments to spending bills, like reducing some government official salaries to $1 or instituting anti-trans policies. Now, Boebert has made comments that indicate she probably won't support a continuing resolution. She hasn't said one way or another. And a continuing resolution is, or a CR, would keep government open in the short term. Uh, Representative Buck said he would support one if 
if it was at the lower spending level that the hard right seeks. Mm. Uh, who else are you watching? Um, well, there are a group of moderates from both sides of the aisle, the Problem Solvers Caucus, that has offered up a bipartisan CR to keep government open. Colorado Democratic Representative Brittany Pedersen is part of that group. And it will be interesting to see if that gains any traction, you know, which it could do if a shutdown drags on. The longer one lasts, the more pressure there'll be on Congress to get a deal. CPR's Washington reporter, Caitlin Kim. And we'll be back shortly with a race scholar who draws a parallel between Coach Prime and the Black Panther. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. For decades, public radio has been a reliable source for fact-based news and independent music programming, but also for tote bags. If you don't have a public radio tote bag yet, or you just want another one, Make a gift of $15 a month, and our new tote bag can be yours. It's durable and spacious, features Colorado-themed graphic art, and shows off your support for the service you love. Check it out and donate at CPR.org. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Ryan Warner. Following a blowout loss last weekend, the Colorado Buffaloes may have fallen in college football polls, but not in the court of public opinion. What's up, y'all? I gotta salute the GOAT. Prime time. We with you. Win or lose. Anybody that's not showing that fake love, y'all will go on. This is rapper and record producer Master P. Just keep that same energy because my homeboy's gonna take this to an even higher level. Salute to the GOAT. Uh huh. We still going. Ain't nothing about to stop this. He's among the legions captivated by the Buffs and their charismatic new coach, Deion Sanders. Coach Prime and his players are now regarded as Black America's team. Although Professor Ase Apia thinks it goes beyond that. He looks at issues of race, culture, and communication at The Ohio State University. Apia is flying to Colorado with a contingent of Sanders fans for Saturday's game against Southern California at Folsom Field. But it's more than a game they're coming for. Colorado is different in the sense that it's almost like a movement, one that you want to follow, you want to be a part of. Well, if you look in history, there have been a number of movements, for example, the civil rights movement, the black power or liberation movement. And many of these movements you identify because you see certain characteristics that resonate with you. And that's what's going on, at least for me and many others across the country, but Colorado. What are the qualities of a football team, this football team, that make you equate it with a movement. It's similar to, I won't take similar, but when you think of movements in the past, like the Black Power Movement, it was a movement where people, particularly Black people, saw the folks involved and got a great sense of Black pride from it. We saw the leaders. In this case, you have Coach Prime, who's very charismatic. And his message of empowerment, of believing what it oneself, resonates with people in general, but the Black community in particular, because for Black people, it's important for us to align ourselves with people who we think are extremely positive and who uplift the community. And we see Dion as being that kind of character. He is authentic. He is truthful. 
he is in many ways unapologetic in terms of being himself. And that's what we like to see in our leaders. So what Dion tells us in general is that in order to succeed as a Black person, you need not assimilate. You don't have to change who you are Hmm. to be successful. You know, Sanders speaks openly about his faith, which strikes me as related to this. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's something of a religious, almost evangelical aspect to his approach. Well, there's probably no stronger institution in the Black communities than the Black church. Sunday morning at 10 or 11 o'clock, we go off to church and we interact with other people who are like-minded, who look like us. And we very much look forward to hearing the sermons from our esteemed pastor, who always gives us a great message every Sunday. Dion is very similar to that pastor that we go see on on Sundays in terms of the wonderful message, the wonderful sermons he provides, not just on game day, but throughout the week. And for Black folks, we work hard throughout the week. And we look forward to hearing from someone who can help uplift us, who can help re-instill confidence in us, to help with our self-esteem, with our self-worth. And there are very few people who have that kind of effect. And when you look at this society where there's so much racial tension in America, and this is a time where many people believe race relations at the lowest point than it's ever been, for someone to help us navigate the racial trauma that we experience every day, to help provide uh, some fun, some entertainment, some inspiration. That's what that's what Dion does. Not just, and it isn't unique to Black America. He does that with mainstream America as well. And we we can talk about that later. But that's the relationship I see in terms of the Black Church as an institution, and the power that Dion has, almost pastor like. Hmm. I want to talk about your son because you're bringing him to Boulder. Even though I understand he's not really a football fan, what is the appeal for him? What is the appeal for you as his father? Also, I think he just passed his driving test. Congratulations. You're right. Uh, he just finished passing his driver's test uh, about an hour ago, and he <laughs> received a perfect score, something that his father was unable to do when, when, uh, when I took my driver's test and probably would be hard-pressed to maybe even pass it at this point. I'll probably have to let him do all the driving. But what my son Ellis sees in Colorado football is his ability, as I mentioned before, the, the courage and the confidence to be yourself, that you don't need to change who you are to accomplish the goals that you have um, written down for yourself. My son looks at Dion as a role model who gives him the courage to walk around with twists in his hair, to walk around as a dark-skinned black man and feel a sense of pride and to believe black is beautiful and who you are is beautiful. And he wants to be part of this movement that Dion in Colorado 
football is conveying to the world. And when you think about it, Colorado football has been quite unsuccessful in the previous year. <laughs> Last year was one in eleven. Previous year, the football team really was was awful. This is a, an underdog story, and I think what many black people feel in America is we feel like we've been stigmatized, or we felt like we've always been the underdog, and we want to the succeeds because of the odds have been stacked up against him and against Black American. And my son sees that as, hey, I want to root for the underdog. I'm going to root for Dion. I'm going to root for a team that was one in 10. See that turnaround and be part of that turnaround from the grassroots level. So it's unfortunate that oftentimes Black people are put in situations, particularly challenging situations, where else was Dion going to get a job outside of Jackson State? The job offer that he got was Colorado, a great college, but a team that was one in 11. It's a, a successful program, uh, a bigger name place going to give him an opportunity, a uh, University of Florida, for example, or uh, one of the major universities in, in Texas, like the University of Texas. Uh, we always get the challenging jobs. So, um, uh, so my general point is my, my son feels empowered by seeing the team of Deion Fenders. He feels proud and empowered to be a black man. He feels pride um, with his own racial identity because of how Dion wears his own uh, identity on his sleeve. And he believes that he can be himself and still succeeds. The daughter of your best friend is also coming. And like your son, she she isn't necessarily a football fan. Right. Uh, what do you think is in this for her? Yeah, she doesn't hear anything about football. And she wants to be part of the, of the movement. She wants to get some of the more implicit messages from the game, such as the folks, the other folks are going to be there. For example, it's believed that JV will be there. LeBron James, and these are people who have been on the forefront, particularly recently, in advocating for civil rights in today's times. So we see what JB has done for the NFL in terms of promoting diversity, equity, and inclusion. We see what LeBron has done, not just for the NBA, but standing up for Black rights. So she seems both as leader, she seems Dion as the leader, fighting for equality, fighting for individuality, and she wants to be part of that movement. So again, it's it's if you connect it to other movements that we've had in society, this is one that's very similar. It's, it's more than just football, clearly. It's a story of fighting against the establishment. It's a story that makes us believe that we can fight through all the trials and tribulations and still come on top. Oftentimes we need a boost. We need someone to energize us. It's, it's, it's tough out there in society, especially when you're an ethnic minority and you, we deal with so many different you know, microaggressions and we're dealing with uh, racism. And when you're a student, my son, who is in high school, in many high schools across the country, in places like Texas and Florida, 
they won't allow 18 black studies. They're getting rid of at many of the schools, especially the public schools, not just the high schools, but the colleges. They're getting rid of diversity, equity, and inclusion departments. And when I say they, I mean that many states and governors aren't allowing diversity programs in the school. We see affirmative action. The ruling uh, was the Supreme Court in Michigan University. What that ruling has done in terms of making Black folks across the country and other ethnic minorities show down and show like the odds are against them. So like every time we take two steps forward, we have to take one step back. So we look forward to people like Dion who is guarding a level of success and national exposure, and we want to support him. Now, at the same time, Deion Sanders has this massive impact outside the university. Inside the school's Department of Education, this letter published alleging a racist climate causing four female tenure-track faculty of color to leave their jobs. A culture of, you mentioned microaggressions, so do they, of everyday violences, gossiping, surveillance, and more. Uh, There are hundreds of signatures on this letter. So, like, there's a tension here, Professor, because universities can be tough places for students of color, for faculty of color. University of Colorado has about 2% of its student population are black students. That, to me, embarrassing. If I'm a university president, if I'm a student, if I'm faculty, if I'm staff, I would be doing everything I could to try to create an environment to attract and retain Black students, Black staff, Black faculty. The most important way to create an environment where Blacks can feel comfortable, where they can feel a sense of belonging, where they can feel like the environment is conducive for them to succeed, is to have more Black people a part of that institution. And when you get four faculty of color who needs not just the university as a whole, but one department, that's a huge hole. Yeah, just for some context, it's uh, 2.7% of the student population at CU Boulder enrolled in the fall uh, being African-American. That is in contrast to uh, the black population of the United States as a whole, which is closer to 14%. So, So do you think that Deion Sanders has a does he have a responsibility off the field, outside the locker room in this regard? Or is that like too much to put on one person? You know, I find it not odd, but disappointing when folks always want to put the burden on the people who are the victims. And what I mean by that, Black people as a stigmatized group always bear the burden of having to lead the charge in areas of diversity, mm. in areas of diversifying campuses, diversifying communities, diversifying industries. We make up only 13.5% of the population in America. We shouldn't be stuck with the burden of having to lift the load to diversify, to lead the charge in the area of diversity, equity, and inclusion. 
this is not just a problem for blacks, it's a problem for America in general. Whites should be leading the charge. They should be the ones out developing, for example, if we talk about universities in particular, working with black folk to develop curriculum, to do more in terms of recruiting diverse faculties and staff, making a concerted effort to support black student organizations on that campus to create an environment that is conducive for all to succeed, especially black students on that campus and black faculty. Uh, back to Deion Sanders and this movement that you say he is building. I, I want to go to this idea of of how diverse it is, of how inclusive it is, because you you actually liken it to the movie Black Panther, which obviously had really strong African American themes and and mm-hmm. actors, but that had this incredibly broad appeal. Um, how is Buffs football like Black Panther? these days? We know that Black Panther was quite a huge success. You can't have a blockbuster movie like that with just Black folk attendees. It has to be an effort that is made by all Americans, like Black Americans. And that is very similar to what we see with what Dion Kennedy is doing. You had a game with 10 million viewers. That, as I understand it, was the most watched college football game in years. It isn't just black people watching. It's all folk. And what I want to impress upon you and and other callers, you know, we keep saying, or not we, but people keep saying that Colorado and Dion is black America's team. It isn't just black America's teams. It is all America's team because white folks and black folks alike are following the program. They're watching it on television. And I, if I may, I connected to a term that I've coined called cultural voyeurism. Cultural voyeurism describes the process by which mediated experiences provide a window into a culture or subculture that would otherwise be difficult for the voyeur to observe or access. Hmm. White folk in particular have become cultural warriors into black culture. Dion just doesn't talk about football. He talks about issues that's going on in our communities. So white folk have a great fascination, a great interest, and an identification with the program, with Dion, and with black America in general. And that's what's led to the success. That's why Colorado football has among the top selling football apparel or sports apparel of any college in the country. That's why Dion and Colorado football are the most watched football games on the weekend. That's why they've been such a success. That's why everybody's tuning in. That's why we're doing this show in part because of the success of Dion in Colorado, but not just because of the interests of Black Americans, but the interests of white Americans as well. Professor, I've really enjoyed talking with you. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Professor Ase Apia of The Ohio State University, reflecting on the impact and promise of Coach Prime at CU Boulder. Apia is actually working on a book about that idea of cultural voyeurism, and we'll keep an eye out for it.
With special thanks to Sherkia Wedgworth Hollowell and producer Anthony Cotton, I'm Ryan Warner. This is listener supported CPR News and KRCC.